0: We're going to go on, hey, we started a little video there about uh, Celebrate Recovery, but just wanted to remind you guys uh, about that concert, as Phil mentioned. The, the main thing is we're, we really want people, if you know people that are lost or those that are struggling, invite them to come out, you know, and, and they'll have a, it's going to be a great message centered around the hope that we have in Jesus, and so really want you guys to, to be thinking about someone that maybe you want to invite to come out and be a part of that. Now, just to kind of give you a recap on this series that we've been in, Accidental Pharisees, uh, this is this is week four, and, and I hope that you, you really are, are being challenged and that it's been encouraging for you. We kind of started and kicked things off talking about the, the danger of uh, overzealous faith. It's just kind of this unaligned passion. You know, sometimes it can take us some weird places, and, uh, and then the next week we kind of talked about... Uh, we talked about legalism a couple of weeks after that and how you know we, we when we add extra rules and extra burdens upon people because we' think that maybe we're helping you know, we're so worried about straying too far and, and so we think well maybe maybe if I if I build some some extra rules in there but it's not bringing glory to God we just end up burdening people and then we talked about pride a few weeks ago, and, and nobody wins. When we compare ourselves spiritually to somebody else, there's no winners there. And so I really hope you're being challenged. Uh, you know, for me, as I, it's just so many times that I'm reading the Scripture, and I, I'm digging into God's Word, and I, I think that I've got a handle on something, and then I'll, I'll see something that, that I never realized before, or I thought it said this, but now I understand that it, it means this, and I... I, I find that there's been some unraveling of some religious hedges that I had put up, and if we aren't careful, we will end up putting new rules around God's design for our lives because we're just so afraid of getting close to messing up, but i, I tell you one thing that I have really learned, and that is that, that it's been so freeing to me, is to know that God is after oneness with us that's rooted in trust it's not based around guilt or extra rule following or it's not driven by fear or or control or or even good behavior but but it's it's he wants he desires that that walk that we're walking with him and that we are becoming more like christ every day and this weekend is going to be a little bit different it's about glorifying the past and i think we all have a tendency to look back in the rearview mirror with some rose-colored glasses and we all tend to exaggerate The past a little bit we we just have a way of romanticizing the past Larry Osborne writes in the in the book accidental Pharisees he says idealism can be a curse if it flows out of an inaccurate and overly romanticized view of the past it can lead to a desperate longing for what never was and a deep frustration with whatever is And maybe you know somebody who just never seems to enjoy the present. No matter what's happening, they're just just never satisfied. They're never content. And they say things like, you know, well, back in my day, the way that things were, everything used to be so much better. I had a chance I was hanging out with a a group of guys from the church this past week, about 50 or 60 of us or so that uh, went out to Louisville Bats game last week. And uh, it was a great time, perfect night for the for a ball game and man we had a we had a blast but uh it was it was so fun hanging out with these dudes but one guy in particular that uh he's here today so I'm gonna tell this story on him but Jim McGraw a lot of you guys know Jim and Terry McGraw of our church Jim is about one of the funniest guys that I know and Terry is just a sweetheart and uh we're we're at the ball game and uh and Jim was telling me a story, he just, he's always making people laugh, you know, just always laughing and cutting up. And he said, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, Terry had a really rough day. She's really stressed out and kind of just, uh, just overwhelmed feeling. And she would messaged him, she said, would you please pray for me? Just pray that God will give me some patience and I'm just really struggling. And if you can think of any Bible verses that might be helpful, would you, would you send those over to me? So Jim said, so I looked and I found every verse I could find on circumcision and sent it to her. <laughs> she, said, she said, why would you send me this? He said, well, it made you laugh, didn't it? <laughs> and he, he's, he's talking about that. He said, if people ask me, why, why, do you, why do you laugh so much, Jim? Why are you always trying to make people laugh? And he said, you know, life is just so, so short. It's way too short to not enjoy it while you're in it. I thought that was pretty good. That's, that's enjoying and embracing the present. But the problem that we have, many of us, is we, and, and the problem with Pharisees is that we just cannot let the past go. We can't embrace the present moment because we're too consumed with what's happened and we want to go back and, you know, who was it? Uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen? Nin- 1985, I think. No, not Bruce. Well, I can't remember now. The glory days. Who was that? Neil, who wrote the glory days? Bruce Springsteen. Thank you. Yeah, okay. All right. I thought I thought I had. But, you know, the glory days, boy, they pass us by. The glory days. And we have a tendency to exaggerate, I think, in a few areas. One is we exaggerate our own personal successes. We've all got a fish story. You know, was it this big? Maybe it was that big. Maybe, you know, maybe it's, it's really big. You know, it was a huge fish that day. And we look back on high school. We look back at college. We look back at the things that we used to do. And, and maybe in your mind, every, you were just a little bit bigger than, than you really were. And, 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 and we can do that spiritually, too. We do that as a church sometimes if we're not careful with things. Remember what it was like back then? Remember what God did back then? Wasn't that great? How can we get back to that? Let's get right back to there, and we're so anxious to get back to some former existence that we're not excited about what God is doing right here and right now. And we we can't really see that, what what He's doing in our midst when we glory in the past. But we we also over-exaggerate rose-colored glasses, whatever whatever term you want to use, about the early church. You know, we say, well, the church is so messed up right now. The church around the world and in America is so messed up and there's things that are creeping in. And, and what are we going to do about this? And what are we going to do? You know, there have been multiple times throughout history where people thought, man, the church is going to die because of this, this bad theology that's worked its way in. Or, or different things that were happening. And, and I will hear people say from time to time, man, I, I just wish that we could get back to being just like the New Testament church. If we could just be exactly like the New Testament church was, because they had it figured out and they were just almost perfect. But have you actually read about the New Testament church? They were they were pretty messed up. They they were they. As a matter of fact, right after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, he leaves the earth. He gave them specific instructions. He said, "I don't want you guys to stay right here." The gospel is to be spread throughout the, the, the earth. And he, said, he even gave them a road map on how to do that. He said, now listen, don't do it right now. But in a little while, when the Holy Spirit comes, the counselor comes, you're going to go. He's going to empower you. And, and here's how you're going you're to start right in Jerusalem. And then you're going to go a little further to Judea. And then you'll go to Samaria. then to, eventually to the ends of the earth. He, he gave them the exact road map. This is what you're going to do. But they just stayed in their little holy huddle. They wouldn't leave. Until finally, God allowed persecution to come in and said, guys, it is time to get moving. You've got to go. You can't stay right here. And and the early church, I tell you, it was racist. The early church was racist. If you go back and look, and if, if you were a Gentile, which I think I'm probably speaking to most of us in here. If you were a Gentile, they didn't want you in their church. You and I, most of us here, we, we would not have felt very welcome there, and God had to continually remind them that the sacrifice of Jesus was for both the Jew and the Gentile, that he came for all, not just the ones in their little club. So we kind of over-exaggerate. We romanticized the early church, but we also, uh, if we're not careful, exaggerate, romanticize, rose-colored glasses, some of our church leaders. It's a dangerous thing when we begin to elevate people who, who are leading in some way in, in a position of leadership within the church. Uh, I've been in a lot of churches where, you know, we we celebrate the past, and that's fine and good. But, you know, we'll keep pictures on the wall. I, I remember my church growing up, I think we had pictures on the wall of all the former pastors. And, oh, remember, so-and-so, remember what we did back then, and oh, wasn't that great? And that's fine, you know, good good memories and stuff. But when we, there's there's something that can happen when it takes this unhealthy turn if we make these people out to be celebrities. And we're more interested in what that person has to say rather than what God has to say. And I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. There has been terrible damage done to the church when a church leader gets so big and then there's some indiscretion that happens and and some there's some greed maybe or fraud that comes to light and and then people say well that's why i don't have anything to do with god that's why i don't have anything to do with church because look they're all the same i specifically think about you and a lot of you remember jimmy swaggart jim baker you know other high profile people that just kind of got bigger than life and then some thing came out and how many people have been turned away from god because of what they've seen and. It can really do damage to our spiritual walk if we just camp out in the good old days. What what is God's view on the past? You know, if God is, if if he's kind of present, past, you know, present, future, he sort of exists. What what is God's view on the past? There's an interesting passage in Isaiah 43 where the Lord said this. It says, this is what the Lord says. So, I mean, you could just underline that in your brain. This is what he says. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Now, what he's talking about here, he's talking about the Israelites back in in Moses' day when they had been enslaved in Egypt, right? And, And God has said, you know, I've seen... The, the persecution of my people. I've seen the horrible things that are happening. And enough is enough. I want them free. And so he sent Moses. said, I, I want you to go to Pharaoh and, and tell him to let my people go. And, and I've got this land prepared for them. And so I, I want you to go to the promised land. There were the plagues that happened. And Pharaoh still would not relent. He said, no, I'm not going to let these people go. They are they're driving you know, driving slave labor, the force, to get things done he wouldn't let him go wouldn't let him go and so god just kept turning up the heat till eventually the final plagues uh, plague some of you maybe remember what that was it was the death of the firstborn and pharaoh's son dies and finally in his grief uh, maybe maybe just exhaustion he said fine just get out just leave and so the Israelite people are leaving, they're on their way to the promised land, and, and in this moment, maybe, maybe his grief had subsided a little bit, maybe he was just angry, embarrassed, I don't know what was going on in Pharaoh's mind, but he said, you know what, no, these people are not going to go, and he sent his entire army to go chase them in the desert, and he said, I want you to kill them all kill every single one of those people and the Israelites they don't they don't know what's coming they're just out there like all right we're free we're going somewhere we don't know exactly where we're going we're just kind of trying to follow wherever God wants us to go and they see this army coming up and 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 I there was no playbook for that and Moses didn't know what to do next I mean and and the people started saying oh great we've left Egypt just to come out here and and die now we're going to be killed by this army and and God he and you remember this story, many of you. He parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground. And then it says when Pharaoh's army followed behind, the, those walls of water just came down and just swallowed them up. Drowned the entire army. That's what that verse is saying. This is what the Lord said. He, he made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. He said, do you remember when I did that? you remember when that happened? How I saved all the Israelite people, Pharaoh's army was coming after you, and, 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 and I, I drowned them all. There they lay, never to rise again. In verse 17, it says, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. It's just this amazing, powerful moment that had happened. And then God says, "He's saying, did, did you remember that? You remember what I did? Now forget it. In verse 18, he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. I I just find that so interesting. I mean, this is this major, pivotal moment in Israel's history. Where he parted the Red Sea. Remember what I did for you? Now, don't worry. Forget that. Forget the former things. Don't dwell there. Why would we we want to forget? Uh, These are great things that happen. Why would we remember just to forget? The next verse in verse 19 The Lord says, see, I'm doing a new thing, something else. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive this? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Why remember just to forget? This is the creative nature of our God. He he says to us, I don't want you getting so hung up in the past that you aren't paying attention to what I'm doing right now I don't want you focused back there I want you focused here I love how the new living translation translates that verse Isaiah 43 verse 18 it says forget all that it's nothing compared to what I'm about to do And I think this is a great challenge to all of us. If I could really impress one thing, like one takeaway, it would be this be available to God right here and right now. Not what God did in the past, not the memories that we have, and oh, could we just go back there as quickly as possible? I've talked to people that are, you know, up in age. They say, man, I've been a part of the church for decades and decades and decades. And I used to teach Sunday school or I, I served in the nursery. I did this. I did that. and But now, you know, now I, I'm not, I, you know, my days are done. I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to be a part of that anymore. I say, man, can, can we just be available right here and right now? If you're still breathing, God still has purpose for you. Now, it may not be in the church nursery, but it's somewhere and it's something. He's got a purpose for you. Why do we relish in the past. Why did the Pharisees have such a difficult time getting past the past? It's because it was their security. And many times it's our security too. We can hold on to those things. If I could just get back to some former state instead of accepting the present as it is and then moving into what God has planned for me. The Pharisees couldn't move past the past they, they were expecting a messiah to come they were familiar with the prophets they knew them. many of them they memorized it they knew that there would be a messiah that was coming and they were waiting for that but they wanted him to restore the temple of david and solomon those were the glory days we're waiting for somebody to bring it back you know, and, and be a political figure and, and lead us off into greatness. We just want to see the restoration of what used to be. They were expecting somebody that would fit into that mold that they had in mind. Let's get this thing back to its former glory. And then Jesus comes along and he says, oh, you, you see this temple? It's going to be destroyed one day. There won't be one stone left standing on another. And oh my, that was the linchpin. For when the Pharisees decided, we're killing this guy. Don't talk about our past like that. Don't talk about our glory days like, like that. That how dare you say that. How dare you suggest that there might be something new or different or change. And, and Jesus, guys, you, you're totally missing this. You've absolutely missed the point. Here I am. I am the Son of God in the flesh. You're waiting for the Messiah here I am. And they, they couldn't see it. When we are totally focused on the days of old, we'll miss what God's doing right now. We just won't see it. And, and there is more doom and gloom going on in our world right now than, than maybe I think any of us have ever experienced in our lifetime. All I can think about, I will, I will become delirious thinking about how wonderful life was two years ago. And can I just go back to the glory days of 2019? What a great time that was. You know, it's like, and I, you know, just, your brain just kind of filters out the bad. And I think, oh, we just, I just want our lives back. And, and we want our, our church back to what it was. And we want our jobs back to what they were. And we want our, we want our supply chains. And our economy and every single thing, we want it to go right back right now to the glory days of 2019. I get it, believe me. I, every fiber in my being is like, this is terrible. And I just want to go back. And, and why can't we just go back? But one thing that I, I just, I see it in Scripture, this pattern again and again and again, that God wants us to understand we will miss what He's doing in the present If we are consumed by the past, we'll miss it. We talked about legalism last week and how when we add to what God has said, it's never going to end good. And in, in my experience and growing up in the church, one of the main ways that we tried to help people to grow spiritually was by placing extra rules Upon them. And so every time you turn around, here's another thing you shouldn't do. Can't be doing that. No, no, no. Got to knock that off. No, that's not, you know, that's not. And there's another thing that you need to do. And, and we tried to get people to spiritual maturity by guilting them. And we found out that really doesn't work. But, but that's what we did. The idea of mercy is scary to legalists. It's, it's, really, it's really threatening because by extending mercy... It kind of feels like I'm giving you permission to backslide. it, just, it kind of feels like you know may, maybe maybe somebody if I if I show a little mercy if I show a little grace if there's freedom then then they're just going to go and 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 they're going to just run off into sin and oh it'll be terrible so we gotta we gotta keep everybody straight here but and, and we think that that'll help us grow if we do that but the opposite is true mercy is what draws us in mercy is is what's so. Irresistible spiritual freedom is refreshing. And truthfully, I'm thankful for rose-colored glasses. Whatever it is in my brain, whatever little thing that it is that makes me look back on the past and kind of filters out some of the bad things and just kind of remembers the good things, I'm grateful because nobody, nobody wants to sit around and be miserable all the time and think about all the bad stuff, but if we allow all of our focus... To glory in the past, we cannot glorify God in the present. It just can't be done. Ecclesiastes 7.10 reminds us, don't say, why were the old days better than these? It's not wise to ask questions like that. And this is is the question I I would hope we all would wrestle with today and and this week as we think about our lives and and living in the present. What is God up to in me right now? Not, not, well, what were we doing? And then it all got disrupted, and now I can't find my footing, and I don't know what I'm doing. Not, not thinking about what he was doing. What is he doing now? What is God up to today? What's the new thing? If, if Scripture says, you know, forget the former things, because, see, I'm doing something new. It's brand new. Can't you see it? Can't you perceive it? Can't you feel it? Aren't you excited about it? Aren't you ready? You know, heart forward, let's lean into that. What is God up to in you right now? What does he have in store for your life today? What's he developing within you? Not what we're trying to return to, but where are we going with him? Where is he leading us, the spiritual muscles that he wants you to work out? What is he calling you to right now? Because God wants the future to be embraced. I mean, everything, we, we sort of live with a mentality that the old days were better. The old days were better. God must be displeased because, you know, boy, if we go back to how it was in the 50s, that's when God was really honored. And God says, forget the former things. I'm doing a new work right now. If we're stuck on what God did for us long ago, when we want to stay right there. We can never move into the present, and he can never take us into the future. Isaiah 43 again says, Forget all that. Forget all the past. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. Now, I really want you to take note of this, these next two lines. I will make a path through the wilderness, and I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Now, those, those lines, that's, that's, you know, every week I kind of, when I'm, I'm writing messages and I'm in the Word, and I'm, I'm like, God, just show me something. Show me one thing, maybe. Just What, what is it going to grip me? That, that was what gripped me this week. And here's what I thought pathway in, in a river a pathway in the wilderness you know a lot of us we've been to you know Jefferson Memorial Forest maybe you've done some hiking or you've been out somewhere and you've seen these paths that are laid out and you get a little map and the thing that I know about pathways in the wilderness they're intentional somebody created that on purpose they plotted it out and they they had to clear brush and maybe they brought in mulch or whatever they did but they've created these pathways on purpose and they go from point a to point b and there is a there's a purpose to it it's not meaningless and when i think about rivers in a dry wasteland what i think about the image that just immediately comes to my mind is life i think about a desert this dry arid dead place and once you introduce water now you've got life now you've got plants, vegetation, animals. I mean, there's all, that's, that's what happens there. And so as I read that scripture, I think about, I just can't miss it, that God is saying, let's, let's move to the future together. I'm going to give you purpose, and I'm going to give you life. This isn't random. This isn't meaningless. We're headed somewhere together on purpose, with a purpose, and there will be life there, and it will be good. That's the difference, I believe, between a Pharisee and a follower of Jesus, a, a disciple. A Pharisee is trapped by tradition. I mean, they're just, they, they're just in a, they're caged. Can't do anything new. I'm always focused on what was the glory of a past that was not as great as they think it was. We filtered all the bad stuff out. They're just trapped there. But a follower of Jesus, a disciple... They just go with Jesus. They just say, Lord, wherever you want to go, that's where I want to go. Just stay beside me. Walk with me. That's, that's who I want to be. And, and I hope that's who you want to be too. That we would be a people. to say, Lord, wherever we're going, wherever you want us to go, we'll go there with you. Just stay beside us. Just keep walking. Let me pray for us. Lord, to thank you for the victories in the past and the the incredible things that you have done in our lives, in our our church, in our world, our our country. And Lord, I I also thank you for the future that I know is is coming. Whether we are going to embrace it or not, it's coming. Lord, I pray that you just help us to continue to to just lock our eyes on Jesus, to not become distracted by what feels uncomfortable, that we miss out on what you're doing. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. Help us to to learn what that really means, to walk with you. Lord, help us to understand the meaning of that passage, and somehow we remember just to forget so that we can focus on where we're headed with you together. Lord, I thank you for Jesus that as we look back on his sacrifice in the past, it's what gives us hope and it's what gives us life and mercy. And what we look forward to the day that he returns and we await that second coming. Lord, help us to be looking forward with anticipation and great expectation of what you're going to do. We thank you for your love and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.